49 years before Jesus was born, there was a great man who stood on the banks of a river. It was January 10th, maybe January 11th, we're not exactly sure on the date, but Julius Caesar stood on the banks of the Rubicon River, and he said words that are famous to us now, the die is cast. In the Roman Civil War, Julius Caesar knew that he was going to have to march on Rome itself, which no military legion was permitted to do. When the military came to the Rubicon, that was the boundary of Rome, they were to lay down their arms, and then they could cross over and come to the city. But Julius Caesar knew that this time was different. This time he would have to march on the city of Rome itself, and Marcus Lucanus has left us a chronicle of what happened there on the Rubicon. Here's his words. How swiftly Caesar had surmounted those icy Alps and in his mind conceived of immense upheavals, the coming war. When he reached the water of the little Rubicon, clearly to the leader through the murky night, there appeared a mighty image of his country in distress. Grief was in her face and her white hair was streaming from her tower-crowned head. With tresses torn and shoulders bare, she stood before him and sighing said, where further do you march? Where do you take these standards, my warriors? If lawfully you come, if as citizens, then this far only are you allowed. But then trembling struck that great leader's limbs. His hair grew stiff and weakness checked his progress. Holding his feet at the river's edge at last, Caesar speaks. O thunderer, surveying great Rome's walls from the Tarpeian rock. O Phrygian house gods of Iulus, clan and mysteries of Quirinius, who was carried off to heaven. O Jupiter of Latium, seated in lofty Alba and hearths of Vesta. O Rome equal to the highest deity, favor now my plans. Not with impious weapons do I pursue you. Here am I, Caesar, conqueror of land and sea, your own soldier everywhere. And now, too, if I am permitted, the man who makes me your enemy, he said to Rome. It is he who is the guilty one. And then Caesar broke the barriers of war and through the swollen river swiftly took his standards as Caesar crossed the flood and reached the opposite bank. From Hesperia's forbidden fields, he took his stand and said, Here I abandon peace and desecrated law. Fortune, it is you I follow now. Farewell to treaties. From now on, war is our judge. Powerful words, aren't they? As Caesar crossed over that Rubicon River, he was saying farewell to all of the old things, and his mind was set on only one thing now, conquering even the city of Rome. The die, indeed, was cast. And I tell you that story because I want you to picture Jesus there on the Jordan River. Jesus there on the Jordan River, a river more Im imminent than the Rubicon River. For Jesus is what Caesar wished he could be. Jesus is the greater Caesar. Jesus is the greater emperor. Jesus is the great ruler. And as he stood on the Jordan River, it was no less of a monumental moment than Caesar at the Rubicon. And I wonder if as Jesus stood there at the Jordan River, if Jesus had a vision of what was ahead for him. 
Surely he didn't see Rome coming to him in the guise of a woman and pleading with him to turn back, but Jesus surely saw everything that that baptism there in the Jordan River would entail. And that's what I want to impress on you this morning. Baptism, baptism is a formative event. Baptism is the kind of thing that you never really get over. Baptism is the kind of thing that shapes you not just for a moment, not just for a day, but shapes you forever. It was that way for Jesus, and it's that way for you now, too. In baptism, the die is indeed cast. In baptism, an old world fades away and a new world is laid out before us. It was that way for Jesus, and it is that way now for all who are baptized in his name. So picture Jesus there at the Jordan River, like Caesar at the Rubicon. Picture Jesus poised to go in, not to make war on Rome, but Jesus poised there at the Jordan River. What was in his mind? Well, we know what was in John's mind, don't we? John looked at Jesus as he stood there at the Jordan River, and John said, Jesus, this is backwards, man. This is completely upside down. I need to be baptized by you. What are you doing coming here to be baptized by me? But Jesus knows. Jesus knows that this is the way, that this is the only way. And so he says these wonderful words to John, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. There at the Jordan River, Jesus sees a vision of what is in store for him. Jesus knows that from this day forward, from this day forward, his mission will truly be begun. That's what baptism was for Jesus. It was the great beginning of his public work. It was the beginning, the unveiling, the apocalypse, the epiphany of who he was and what he came to do. And in his mind, he came to do, to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Now, that's why John was confused, because this didn't seem like a righteous thing at all. What is this sinless man doing here on the banks of a Jordan River, and why is he asking to be baptized by me? See, in John's mind, baptism was for sinners only. John made that very clear, and everyone who came out to the Jordan River to be baptized by him would have heard John saying, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. Everyone who was baptized there in the Jordan River, we're told in Matthew's gospel, was going into the water confessing their sins. And those who wouldn't, those who weren't really interested in confessing their sins, those who just came, you know, for appearances, maybe for a photo op or something, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, John had special words for them, didn't he? You brood of vipers, he said. Don't think that this is just a show. Don't don't think that this is just a motion to go through. No, if you're going to be baptized, you have to repent and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And that's why in John's mind, it made no sense for Jesus to be baptized. Because see, Jesus lacked the one thing essential to being baptized. He had no sin So when Jesus says, look, John, thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness, this is the right thing to do, in John's mind, he's thinking, what is he talking about? How can the sinless one, being baptized as a sinner, how can that be the right way? But see, this is what Jesus perceived so clearly, and this is what he proclaimed through his ministry, and this is the very thing he was sent to do to fulfill God's righteousness by taking upon himself the place of a sinner. 
In his baptism, Jesus is reckoned with sinners. He takes the place with sinners. He comes to us in our lowliness and he says to us, I will be on your side. I'm going to stand in with you. I'm going to stand in as a sinner. Though I have no sin of my own, I will carry it for you. I will take it for you. I will lift it off of you. A bruised reed I have not come to break and a faintly burning wick I will not quench. Instead, instead I will repair what is bruised and I will rekindle what is about to go out. And so at the Jordan River, Jesus says, thus it is fitting for me to fulfill all righteousness precisely in this way, by being baptized as a sinner, by being counted as a sinner, by being reckoned as a sinner. And see, this is what's so wonderful about baptism. It's not just a show. It's not just Jesus, you know, trying to present himself in this way. No, he is really taking our sins. He is really taking the place of the sinner. That's what Jesus' baptism was all about, and that is what his life was all about. And so Jesus can say about his death and about his resurrection, even after he's baptized, he'll say things like this, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and oh, how I wish that I was being baptized. He who was baptized there in the Jordan River knew He knew that once he stepped into that water, the die was cast, that he would be the one bearing our sins. And the the one who bears the sins of the world has only one place to go, not to Rome, to rule over an empire, but to a cross, to bear a curse, to take upon himself what our sins justly and properly deserve, which is the stroke of death. Jesus knew there at the waters of his baptism that once he crossed into the Jordan River, there was only one place that he was going to go, and he did it. Caesar stood at the Rubicon and said, from now on, war is our judge. Jesus stood at the waters of the Jordan and said, from now on, the cross is my destiny. From now on, I will bear the sins of the whole world and I will do away with them. I will bury them in my death. I will bury them in the grave and I will rise up from that place with sin no more clinging to me. See, for Jesus, baptism wasn't just a one-time event. No, his whole life was this baptism. His whole life came from that Jordan River, sprang from that river, and flowed on from that river. From the Jordan to Mount Calvary, there is a straight line in our Savior's mind, and there should be one in our view as well today. For here is what we see at the baptism of Jesus. Here is the great epiphany. That God has sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to stand in with sinners. That means to stand in with you. He stands there in the waters of holy baptism, and what you deserve is dumped out on him. What we need is dumped out on him there in the waters of the Jordan, and finally in the flood waters of his cross. Jesus does away with sin, and just so, do you see, just so he fulfills all righteousness. The righteous judgment on sin that God the Father spoke in the Garden of Eden is finally dealt out to Jesus on the cross. And this is what God loves for us to see. What did the baptism begin for Jesus? It began this mission of fulfilling God's righteousness. It began a new creation, we might even say, because that's why the Spirit comes down as a dove, right? Where was the last place that the dove was seen hovering in the Old Testament? Wasn't it after Noah 
Wasn't it after Noah passed through the floodwaters that he sent out a dove? And when the dove flew out, it landed in that new creation and grabbed an olive branch and brought that olive branch back to Noah. But then the dove went out again, and it landed in the new creation, and it made a new home. So now the Spirit rushes down on Jesus, and it comes in the form of a dove. Why? So that you would know that in Jesus, in Jesus what had started with Noah— finds its fulfillment. Finally, a new creation is being prepared. Finally, a place where sin, where evil, where wickedness is destroyed, and where only righteousness grows. That new place is prepared, and it's prepared in and through this man, Jesus. Lastly, the voice of the Father booms out from heaven. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. What did the baptism of Jesus mean for him? It meant that his mission as the servant of God, the one who is the delight of the Father, it meant that his mission would begin. And his whole mission that you heard described in Isaiah chapter 42, to bring justice, to bring righteousness, to repair what was bruised and to rekindle what was about to go out, it means that that mission is about to begin. And over all that Jesus will say and do from that day forward hangs the pleasure of God the Father. Now, isn't it great that God the Father doesn't say, this is my beloved son who I like a little bit. This is my beloved son who makes me happy occasionally. No, it says, this is my beloved son in whom is my soul's delight. Everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus did is the good pleasure of the Heavenly Father, the rich pleasure of his soul. And that includes, that includes the carrying of your sin to the cross. What is it that God the Father loves? He loves that his Son has come into the world to save you, to take your sins, to take your death, and to do away with them through the cross. That is the good pleasure that is shown to us in the waters of the Jordan River, that here comes the beloved son of the Father. And what does he do? He takes our sins. Jesus could have begun his ministry any way he wanted to, I suppose. He could have done some crazy miracle and shown everyone that he was a wonder worker. But here in his baptism, we see the very heart of his mission. Jesus didn't come to be some kind of a trickster, a magician who could do cool tricks. No, he came for something far greater, to take your sins, to die in your place, to do away with those things that haunt you, that pain you, that would destroy you, to do away with them once and for all through his cross. That's what you see in the baptism of Jesus. That's what I mean, that Jesus never really got over his baptism, and neither do you. Because the same thing that began for Jesus in his baptism begins now for every Christian in your baptism. In your baptism, you have something that you never really get over. It's not just a cute photo op, although the children are always cute, aren't they? It's not just a day to eat punch or drink punch and eat cake. It's not just the kind of thing that we say, well, I think I'm supposed to do this for some reason. No, in baptism, we have given to us what Christ has gotten for us. What Christ gets, he now gives to us in holy baptism. And in and through holy baptism, we receive it as a gift. 
the righteousness of God that Jesus fulfilled is given to you in holy baptism and gotten by you there in the waters. We don't have to go to a river. We don't have to stand on the Jordan or on the Rubicon. Any water will do so long as it is combined with the word of God. And where that water is poured out, indeed, the die is cast. Your sins are taken from you and the righteousness of Jesus Christ is given to you. Think of that. The righteousness of Jesus is proclaimed over you. It's as if God says to every one of his baptized children, you, you, you are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. That's why we celebrate baptism today, and that's what I mean, that you never really get over your baptism. After all, how could you get over it? How could you get over and do something better than the righteousness of Jesus? How could you get over and have something better than the good pleasure of your heavenly Father? No, our whole life is shaped by the waters of holy baptism. It is the beginning, it is the middle, it is the end towards which we press. For in the waters of holy baptism, not just in Jesus's, but in yours now, the righteousness of God is fulfilled. It is given out to you and gotten by you. And there in the waters of holy baptism, just as the Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove to mark him as the new creation, there in the waters of your baptism, God has made you a new creation. Don't you know that all of you who are in Christ Jesus have become a new creation? Don't you know that the old things are behind you? Away with them. The die is cast. Something new has begun. Each of your lives is marked now by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes to make you a new creation, a place where God's favor dwells and a place where righteousness, where righteousness is not some kind of strange thing, but where righteousness is the sum and substance of your lives. So learn this day that your life has been marked by holy baptism, that your life is now to be shaped by this holy baptism, that the spirit that was given to you there in those waters means for you to grow up, to grow in righteousness and holiness, even as that new creation after the flood was meant to grow and be fruitful and multiply. We never really get over our baptisms, dear friends. And if we do, if we do, then we've, become to, we've begun believing a delusion. And so we come into this place, and what do we find here? The font open. The water standing present as a reminder that you might dip your finger in there, that you may mark yourself again with the sign of the Holy Cross and remember that you are God's child, that his good favor rests over you even when it seems like all else is taken away from you. Your baptism stands and makes you whole. You can count on it. The die has been cast. Don't get over your baptism, dear friends. Return to it. Grow in it. Let your life be shaped more and more by this great event, by this great bath, by this great river crossing. For you who have passed through those waters, you have begun to pass through all things. You have begun to pass through with Christ Jesus, sin and death and the power of the devil. And what he begins, the crossing that our Lord Jesus has already made, he intends to bring you through as well. So from now on, war is not our judge. From now on, let Jesus Christ be your judge. From now on, war and fortune we don't have to pursue, but the good pleasure of our Heavenly Father, which he has promised to us, which he has provided for us, and which he calls us now to grow in. Let the good pleasure of your Father be your goal and your purpose. To Christ be the glory now and always. 
Amen.